This is Functional and Fabulous, the omni-channel podcast, where we unbox tales of online retail and digital transformation. In this episode, Jer goes in search of questions. Great, we have all the big data, but what questions are we trying to answer? Our guest has the questions. What do they look like? Where do they live? How often do they shop with me? What is it that they, that, that they like? And then I'm going to use that information to give them more of what they want. The functional and fabulous soapbox racing team is born. Can we, for a second, just talk about dash cards? You thinking about getting into one and being pushed down the hill? Gordon describes dash cart propulsion. <laughs> Massive shoulders <laughs> and big arms. <laughs> Jer questions his hearing. What is a body buddy? Did I hear that correctly? And the real threat of AI is exposed. You feel all of a sudden kind of like shamed by an AI because you've no idea what it's talking about. This episode of Functional and Fabulous is brought to you with pride by Studio 49, retail e-commerce experts, omni-channel growth consultants, and cut-through performance marketing specialists. Studio 49 where your digital retail success is built. Hello and welcome to Functional and Fabulous, the omni-channel e-commerce podcast. We're delighted to welcome our guest today, Maya Knights. Maya is a retail tech publisher, an occasional author, and a consultant and advisor. She has over 25 years experience specialising in enterprise technology use in retail, and she spent this time covering and analysing the demands and challenges faced by retailers to identify the technologies that best support their needs as consumer expectations and behaviours become ever more complex. It's always good to speak to someone who has written the book on a topic, and in this case Maya has co-authored two books that are extremely relevant to our subject matter. Omnichannel Retail, How to Build Winning Stores in the Digital World, with Tim Mason, the CEO of Eagle Eye and former Deputy CEO of Tesco PLC, and Amazon, How the World's Most Relentless Retailer Will Continue to Revolutionise Commerce, co-authored with Natalie Berg. Maya, it's so lovely to have you here with us today. Lovely (laughs) to be here, Gareth. Lovely to to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to the podcast. It's It's great to be able to talk to you today. We're really looking forward to it. Likewise, Gordon. Thank you so much, both of you, for having me. So, um, Maya, as, as someone who has written a book on Amazon... I guess you hear people make uh, much ado about the potential end of Amazon whenever they have a a stutter or a misstep. And I've heard you say, you know, it's not the end, but only the beginning of the end of day one. Um, Would you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by that? Oh, gosh, Um, that's a great question. But to unpack it and answer it, I have to probably give a bit of context, don't I, for, for your listeners? So Jeff Bezos famously wrote in a shareholder's letter that um, to, in order to be disruptive, to maintain the, the position in the industry that they, that, that they have attained and be as disruptive um, as they have been in the past um, and also remain nimble and agile enough to be disruptive and innovative, that they must treat every day that they come into work as though it was day one, the first day in the company. And so it's become kind of a bit, a bit of a, a, a term for referring to them as being disruptors and innovators. And I think, you know, we've seen just, uh, you know, on one half, Amazon is a tech firm. On another, on the other hand, it's, it's, a, it's a retailer. And we've seen both sectors fare differently through the last three, three or four years through the pandemic. We've seen 
big tech squeezed quite heavily as we've sort of come out of the pandemic and they perhaps, you know, um, overhired a little bit and, uh, and, uh, and, and their, their ranks swelled and their spending swelled through the pandemic to meet demand for um, everything going online and our appetites um, growing for digital. But at the same time, um, you know, it's being a tech company first, as I always say, and a retailer second, it's also really been able to use that tech savvy digital know-how to, to turbocharge its retail business and do, do really, really well as a retailer. So we've seen traditional bits of its business that have been growth engines like its cloud services business, AWS, mm -hmm. continue to grow, although growth is now slowing as adoption grows um, worldwide and competition increases. And on the retail side, we've seen them grow their advertising business hugely from a you know profit perspective. It's you know, got massive margins. So it's done really, really well there, but it's also been caught out with too much warehouse space, too many staff. It's having to kill off um, um, areas like Alexa or at least slim them down, trim them down. Um, maybe it's not learning as fast as it is it used to or failing as fast as it used to. Um, the experience, even though, you know, the ads business is great for shareholder news and investor um, coverage, but, you know, it doesn't actually make the experience a lot better for, for, for consumers. Mm -hmm. I think the, jur the jury is out on whether or not these ads are actually going to add value. Mm -hmm. So in terms of Amazon being able to pivot, be an innovator, be a disruptor, really tune into what the customer wants and reflect it really quickly in, in their front end, you know, marketplace, amazon.com and prime businesses. They're, they're starting to slow down a little bit. I think the last couple of things that sort of are challenges and have been perennial ongoing challenges have been getting into food and getting into fashion. I mean, they're still a massive apparel retailer, particularly in the States, they're the, the number one. But luxury fashion, they're still trying to, you know, struggling to penetrate the likes of Shane, for example, you know, adjacent. So they're not necessarily um, competing against each other. But when you think about that fast fashion side, you buy a T-shirt from Amazon, buy some jogging bottoms from Amazon, but you wouldn't necessarily go out and buy a party dress or a or dress shirt from Amazon necessarily, yeah. um, unless the brand already sells. So there are all these headwinds as well as the policy and regulation one, which we should always mention, that means that it might not quite be day, end of day one for Amazon, but I believe it's sunsetting and we're starting to see Amazon, the mature retailer and tech company, head into its day two phase. Such a clear... Uh... Uh, a clear answer to my question, actually. Um, you know, we've we've thought about this idea of how a large innovative company. Um, how do you manage to generate or continuously generate that innovation on an ongoing basis, in particular from within the company? Um, and obviously, there there comes a point where things start to to slow down a little bit, or there's a reinvigoration, or maybe a a sunset of some portions of it for a sunrise the next day. They they made a lot, like they made much ado about going into grocery in the states and in the UK and. Obviously, in the States, uh, Whole Foods was a very strategic purchase, um, but the business there seems to have abated quite a bit as well. Um, they were very, you know, they were, they were quite bullish going into it. Um, in some cases, they probably wrote the PR before they actually um, succeeded in the, in the area. How, how do you find that? Do you think that that's a true statement? Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair estimation of where they are. Um, I mean, again, let's set some context. Um, you know, Amazon's a, a massive retailer uh, in everything that's non-food, but we spend forty percent of 
of all retail spend is food. It's the biggest category and they, they want to see what we buy food. I mean, when you think about the advantages that grocers have from a perspective of the you know that digital um, pandemic turbocharged pandemic digital demand, they have frequency. You know they see who's a young family, who's grandparents, who likes to buy baby sham at Christmas. All of these kinds of nuances of our shopping habits, and I think Amazon sees has the ability to see everything else apart from that. And it's a missing piece when you talk about omni-channel, for example, getting that 360 degree view of the customer is not just where they shop with you, but also what they shop with you. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, as a shirt retailer, you're going to want to know my inside leg measurement, but at the same time, it pays to to have that, you know, um, I suppose as, 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 as detailed a view of who is buying from you so that you can give them more of what they want, you know, infer what they want before they want. So Amazon's ambitions in grocery are clear um, in terms of the benefits that they're looking to, to, to gain 40% of our spend and 40% of everything we buy and knowing how we do that. The acquisition of Whole Foods has been seen as a bit of a dab squib. Mm. I do believe Amazon, being a tech company first and a retailer second, has had to learn how to retail along yeah. the way. And grocery is one of those, it's probably the hardest, the hardest sector to get into. America, it's very fragmented. You've got a lot of regional banners. In Britain, it's one of the most fiercely competitive yeah. and consolidated um, markets. Were they, were they overconfident in, in their ability? You know, I mean, Amazon, yes. obviously, as, as a, uh, they've been enormously successful. But as you say, grocery is really challenging. Yeah, I, I, I'd like, it would be great to get your opinion my on whether whether you think that that's because they didn't have the technology right or what is the reason that this has has under delivered and is it as you say down to their retail skill set i think that's largely got uh, that's got a lot to do with it i mean when you're talking about the retail skill set let's deal with that first you know they don't have a brand that's known and trusted for food um i don't think the proposition you know they didn't necessarily <laughs> Whole Foods wasn't the best run grocer in the world. <laughs> they inherited some inventory systems that weren't great. So retrofitting core retail systems, which they didn't really have to build in for a store environment into Whole Foods, was, I think, from a due diligence perspective, something they potentially overlooked. Um, and, and, and I think what a good way of thinking about it, perhaps, is that Amazon sees stores the way that traditional store-based retailers sees online, saw, saw online 10 to 15 years ago. You know, it's something over there, we can operate it as a different, you know, in terms of the integration of Whole Foods, the spinning out of innovation into Whole Foods and, and retail skills and savvy back into Amazon. I don't think that integration happened as quickly or as, as well as it should, as quickly as it should have or as well as it should have. Um, and they underestimated how much retrofitting they would need to do to Whole Foods to get it up to the same kind of spec and standards as Amazon was running its own retail businesses. And then on the other hand, the things that they wanted to do from a test and learn perspective with Whole Foods that we now see in their Just Walk Out technology in their um, Amazon um, Go format stores is the price point. It's just, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's a, I hesitate to say it's a technology waiting for a problem to solve. It really isn't. But it's like I was having this conversation earlier. I was saying to somebody else, it's like our, where RFID was seven to ten years ago in terms of 
business case ROI and that's got a lot to do with just the cost of the tech so they were very innovative very disruptive I think the technology has absolute application legs beyond you know this is the way forward for shopping in stores we, we don't need tilde anymore they've proven it, it eliminates shrink you know who's coming into your store you can match the digital identity to the, to the human physical shopping trip for example but the cost of doing it has has really limited them so that's why we see it only rolled out to local and convenience type formats with smaller footprints you know they're experimenting with um i'm answering your question gare about food but you know they've started to think about how to do this in um, department store environments as well how to modernize disrupt remove friction from the, the store's buying experience but the technology that they've come up with is, is is proving really really difficult to scale quickly but a final thing i'll say on grocery is i would say instead of watching what has happened with whole foods watch what they're doing with their own banners um, and the amazon grocery stores that they are now rolling out in america have the new redesigned dash cart um, which allows for one bigger buy so bigger um, format stores bigger ranges which allows them to start to build that brand cachet around the actual you know shopping experience what brands do you have you have what i'm looking for you know it's not just like in the uk morrison's groceries i have a, a choice i have local brands and i have amazon owned brands and i have other um, premium brands as well that's what that's what customers are used to that's what they're looking for so you need the form bigger format stores to do that dash carts getting them there although i am seeing some interesting competitors coming out with you know uh, systems that you retrofit to shopping trolleys that could you know compete head to head with them it's not you know buying tech from amazon which means you know necessarily giving away all your data as well sharing all your data as well maya for, um, for those people who are listening that aren't familiar could you could you just give us a headline of what a dash cart is oh so a dash cart is um so the, the, the Just Walk Out technology that's in Go stores uses computer vision and shelf sensing technology to basically track you in an anonymized way around the store. And when you pick something up off the shelf and put it in your bag and walk out with it, you're automatically charged. The Dash Cart does exactly that, but in a shopping trolley form. So it's like all the cameras and all the sensors are in the trolley. So as you drop something in the trolley, that's the cue for the artificial intelligence systems to log it as something that's gone into your basket. And as you leave the store, that's the cue for it to charge your, your um, payment instrument that you've registered to the app. Got it. So in convenience, it's looking at the shelves. In the larger formats, it's in the trolley. Well, I think, you know, they'll, they'll certainly have the, the, the computer vision and, and sensing technology in the bigger format stores as well, because you've got bigger basket shops, you know, um, just built braces, I think. But the dash cart is the, is, is the, is the point at which um, all that stuff's tallied. And it, because it's a bigger shop, it allows them to give you a screen that gives you a running total, which you're more familiar with the scanning guns yeah. in supermarkets yeah. now as well. It, it, it gives them that sort of digital media capability as well because you're pushing a cart rather than just, you know, putting stuff in a bag and walking out from a convenience perspective. And tot up your multi-buy discounts as we all like to do yes. as we're one, running around exactly. uh, certain supermarkets mm -hmm. with our scan and go guns. With, with online, the lower the touch, the more tools you need to try and bridge the gap digitally. And I've, I've certainly seen situations where retailers are trying to deliver totally seamless and frictionless services, or at least that's the aim. But then they're surprised by the planning effort and technology involved. 
And it's almost, you know, when, when you were talking about Amazon and its experience in retail and retrofitting to Whole Foods and, and all of that, it was almost like the reverse version of it in a way. Um, but looking to online, um, you know, do you, do you find that, uh, that that's the case? Um, the more that people are trying to make these things seamless, you know, the more surprised sometimes they are by how, how complex that can be, you know, and how, how difficult sometimes it is to keep things simple. Yes, um, I, I would say to answer your question twofold, let's break down what people are looking for from the online experience. We've been doing it long enough now to kind of start boiling it down to some essential tenets and then how, how retailers can deliver on that. I think the essential tenets are particularly now from a give to get dynamic perspective when we're talking about digital and the footprint that we leave and the click streams that we create and the data that we therefore share and the information we infer through that data that we then share with the retailer. There is, I think the overarching thing now, particularly from an omni-channel perspective, is recognise and reward me for my continued custom. Mm -hmm. Don't treat me like I'm a one-time anonymous customer. So make it worth my while to log in, make it worth my while to identify myself when I'm in store. Um, When I'm there, even if I'm not a regular customer of yours and I'm not on your royalty scheme, like I'm not logged in, but I'm just browsing, the search browse and discovery phases of the shopping journey now have to be get me to what I'm looking for as quickly as possible. Don't make it difficult for me to find what I'm looking for. And then the final and third tenet has to be once I've found it, give me the confidence to buy something that I know is going to be what I want. And that there becomes, again, where the data can really help infer what is what is the mission, what's the real value. Is it speed? Is it is it quality? Is it quantity? What is it about this person that I already know from their shopping habits, known or unknown, um, that they've shared with me that can help me get to that, you know, bridge that conversion gap? You know, we can talk about fashion, we can talk about returns. You know, why are people buying three sizes of something when if you could show them that it would fit them, give them the confidence that it would fit them, they'd buy one size. Um, so it's that, it's that, it, it, you know, I try and that's what people come to me for. They try and for me to boil these things down. And it is recognize and reward me, mm-hmm. help me find what I'm looking for as quickly as possible and give me the confidence to buy it knowing mm-hmm. that it has the value that you tell me it has. And that then you get into a whole sort of discussion about brand value and purpose and sustainability mm-hmm. and fast versus slow deliveries. But there are so many different ways that you can do that, meet those three um, um, demands, that uh, I think the last 15 years have been characterised by retailers going, well, I'll just buy an e-commerce platform, slap that mm-hmm. in, and it should do it all. Yeah. But when you are now talking about um, recognising the reward, you're talking about loyalty yeah. linked to, you know, maybe payment system, payment delivery, location, inferences of, from data points from customers. When you're talking about search browse discovery, you really are talking about shop attainment, you're talking about video, you're talking about embedding video. Do you, Are you making your, your video on your mobile app shoppable? Are you using something like the Zara Store app where I can nominate my favorite three shops where you'll make the inventory available to me if I click and collect in an hour. And that then bleeds into, you know, at the end, am I using something like Aftership or Quiver to make sure I'm offering you a slow delivery or make sure that I'm giving you step by step your your deliver your, your product is is five steps away, mm-hmm. much as less as just before that we talked about, you know, am I using an AR fitting tool? Am I using, you know, um body buddies am i using video am i using live streaming from the conversion consideration set perspective so all of these little but significant 
components need to be bolted onto these systems. And I think I see what's happening uh, to sort of round up what's probably a really long response to your question, yeah. But is 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 that these these amorphous ecom platforms can't quite keep up. Well, I and, 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 and we're seeing that, that that's, you know, it's platform play versus best of breed, right? Um, it's always been the way. And um, right now, platform is, is holding, holding a lot of retailers back. For me, this is super interesting because on the one hand, you have this tech giant, Amazon, building its own tech and implementing that from in, into physical environments. Uh, and some retailers may look overwhelmed. And I noticed... From your Twitter feed, uh, there was a great quote from um, Reggie Schultz from the CEO of JD Sports saying, mm. don't do code. We do stores and customer experience. Let the tech companies do the code. <laughs> and yeah. you like gave that one a high five. And uh, that resonated with me when I saw it because this is an overwhelming level of capability for a retailer to try and take on and build and i think i I can't remember how many how many applications you just referenced in that Mm. in in that that couple of minutes but there's a lot in that stack and and it it kind of leads me into ask you a little bit more about that of how do you build that kind of best of breed versus flexible components how do retailers even start thinking about this well, I mean, I've been doing this, <laughs> to, to admit, you know, over 25 years and, you know, just at the time when sort of POS was moving from clients or moving to client server and then subsequently we've moved, sort of moved it up to the cloud. If you're, if you're at the bleeding edge, there are some retailers that have 37-year-old POSs who mm-hmm. shall remain unnamed uh, and they are really proving huge barriers to innovation. So we're talking the e-com platform now kind of taking the place of the POS platform in stores and becoming the barrier to innovation what i mean and, and back then it was all best of breed i want best of breed everything and then they realized they couldn't sew it all together and then you had oracle sap microsoft salesforce come in and say well you're you're buying your databases off of us you're buying you know your, your ibm x whatever it might be why not i've got some applications we've got all the money to throw at verticalizing this buying up all of these vertical applications and um locking you in and so retailers at that time i think you know through the 90s and the early noughties were like yeah all right i'll have a bit of sap i'll have a bit of you know um and they were quite happy at that time because i think the pace of innovation the, the pace of changing consumer demand hadn't become turbocharged by digital quite as much then um and so they were in a position where they could say yeah three to five years for roi that's fine i'll do i'll take that and it's just sped up. So what I'm seeing now is a little bit of a hybrid where they have got these systems of record that are owned by the big platform, big tech players. And I always say omni-channel should be three systems of main record. And that should be as near real time for all of them, your, where's your stock? And you don't necessarily need to know where it is at that moment, mm-hmm. just when it moves. Yep. Yep. I want to know when it moves. <laughs> if it's gone from a warehouse to a store or it's on a truck, or I've handed it to a customer. Those are the main points that you need to know where it is. Um, so that's stock slash inventory. Then you need to know who your customers are. However you do that, you might need a loyalty scheme, might not. And three, you need to know what you're selling. And that might be sales and orders. And so we've seen, again, you know, one of the big ones 
people sorted out their POS systems, then they put in e-com systems, they were doing telematics in the background, maybe 10, 15 years ago, order management. When I was at IDC, it was order, I need an order management system, I need to do click and collect, I need to bolt my store systems onto my e-com systems. And, and now you're trying to get retailers kind of going for, you know, sales and orders coming from one stock pool mm -hmm. and yep. dynamic orchestration and predictive mm -hmm. analytics, where to keep my stock, for example. So they still need those three systems of record, right? But what's emerging on top from a best of breed perspective, I would say, maybe it's, I'm going to sound like I've drunk Kool-Aid, but the, 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 the best iteration of this I've seen so far is um, composable commerce throw a few buzzwords at you there and you know I think it's typified by the work that's being done by the Mac Alliance so I work quite closely with a mobile app native mobile app firm called POC Commerce they would hate me if I didn't actually name them um, who onboarded to the Mac Alliance in 2021 so I got to look mm -hmm. under the covers and see what what the Mac Alliance needed for this vendor to join this members of members association and they literally have to show their code they have to um, work on blueprints integration and the, the Mac Alliance essentially stands for and, the, and then I'll sort of hopefully finish answering your question in terms of having that platform systems of record but hot swappable composable components on the top from the customer facing perspective that gives you that agility is that they are all microservices um, um, written in microservices with API first cloud native and headless capabilities so that's what the Mac stands for mm -hmm. and I, I do uh, appreciate that the Mac Alliance doesn't just go yeah give us a subscription money we'll slap your logo and stuff you have to go through quite a rigorous uh, assessment process with the existing members on their technical council and Google's only just been onboarded for example Google has mm -hmm. only just joined the Mac Alliance I think companies like Salesforce and Oracle will struggle to prove that they can join the Mac Alliance and that's a good test so whether something is Mac enabled um, and allows that level of composability on the front end while you manage the systems of record on the back end, back end I think is the happy medium that we're, that we're converging towards now. Okay, so I suppose you could kind of, I, I've got to simplify it for my own understanding a bit here. So it's kind of like those systems of record, there are foundations and mm. they're, they're the bits that stay constant and then you can use or retailers can then build experiences using composable elements to to bring to bring that experience to life for the customer and that's how they can they can access the technology and also differentiate through the mix of technology that's that's right for them and their customer if i've understood what you're saying correctly yeah exactly that thank you for simplifying <laughs> absolutely no 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 you're absolutely right that's exactly how it should work i think you know, it was interesting um, that Reggie Schultz quote, he, he actually started off by saying, you know, it took them, they were back and forth with their e-com provider about whether or not they needed a persistent basket. You know, it's, it's questions, it's questions like that that take too long to answer. Whereas if you're evaluating a new e-com platform, you can ask that question of three or four different Mac enabled providers and get the answer you know and choose the answer that best suits you because you're the retailer you don't necessarily necessarily know what a persistent basket means but if they can explain to you what it means and you know your customer and you know the way they shop and you know what kind of business model operating model you want to create online then you can meet in the middle so it makes those kinds of conversations a little bit clearer a little bit easier 
you know, all of the big platform guys will make sure that they have an API layer that you can use and hook these things into. But it's 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 things like dynamic search. It's things like, um, you know, if I want to just swap out. So an unnamed retailer is currently migrating from ATG, which was bought by IBM years ago, <laughs> and is unsupported. It's no longer yeah. supported. They're running their entire e-com business, and they're a former catalog business. They don't actually have that many stores on something that's end of life, something that's no longer supported, simply because the operational risk of swapping that out right now is too big. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that they could move to, uh, you know, I, I try and be fair, you know, you've got Shopify, big commerce, fluent commerce, all of these other um, e-commerce Mac enabled systems of um, e-commerce systems more um, more quickly, more easily, without disrupting necessarily the plumbing underneath, the systems of record underneath, and having more business focused and outcome focused conversations rather than, you know, getting mired in uh, technical diagrams and, you know, months, let alone years to, to see returns and some value. Uh, I think uh, work in that incremental sort of as a question, way of, of getting quick. There's a question quick in that area, Maya. The, um, you know, I've often heard people speak of the desire to make data-driven decisions uh, based on the 360-degree view of the customer, and you've mentioned that earlier. Do you feel like the knowledge and education is in the industry to leverage the potential of the tech that is available? And if not, what would you do about it, or what do you think can be done about it? That's a really good question, Gat. One large UK department store has only just taken on a head of customer data only just yep. has only just launched the loyalty for the scheme um you can probably infer which one it is <laughs> so you know st- strategically are they ready some not um i think those that have had loyalty schemes we've seen them double down on them and also maybe flatten them out a little bit in terms of their value just from a cost of living crisis perspective. And I think they're probably, you know, they've got first mover advantage. They kind of, they already kind of understand the power of customer data. Um, and so they are, you know, the grocers, they're launching retail media networks, you know, they're miles ahead. Yeah. Um, I think the, 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 the non-food guys are kind of just looking at marketplaces, that kind of thing, trying to get the, they know they've got the eyeballs. How can I, make my site more sticky how can i um start to join up my store my view of customers in stores with my view of what they do online i would say the big buzzword in regards to customer data is cdps customer data mm-hmm. platforms do i need one if i had one yeah. what would i do is well, if you had one what would you do with it so well i think sometimes that question like there, there's they, there's a question of almost diving to the selection of uh, a cdp ahead of the 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 strategy around what what would we do with us you know um yeah. it's kind of like the the, the famous uh, thing with uh, big data you know grace we have all the big data but what questions are we trying to answer Exactly. I mean, with big, so we talked about big data. Now we're talking about AI, aren't mm-hmm. we, from that perspective? And um, I hear retailers all the time say that they're drowning in data. So you, you raise a very, very good point there. And I would suggest that you're drowning in data because you don't know what to ask of it. Yeah. Again, I would say, you know, only ask what you need to know. The most fundamental thing retailers need to know from their customer data is who is my best customer. Yeah. What do they look like? Where do they live? How yeah. often do they shop with me? What is it that they, that they like? And then I'm going to use that information to give them more of what they want. 
Um, And I'm going to also use that information to run my business better. As a retail tech expert, couldn't possibly let you go without hearing your take on the future of retail in the world of artificial intelligence, um, which you've just (laughs) mentioned. I saw a wonderful report recently on River Island's introduction of the smart fitting rooms, um, which could identify the products a customer brought with them to try on and would suggest via AI alternate sizing, colorways, recommended products Mm -hmm. that style with the items and so on. Mm -hmm. What have you seen um, in the uses of AI that have really piqued your interest recently? Oh dear. Um, sorry, that's not a good start to my response, is it? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not seeing anything particularly innovative. I'm seeing behind, not custom facing, I'm seeing mm-hmm. so stuff that customers ne- wouldn't necessarily see. But I, I heard a really good case study of AI being used to to dynamically put clothing on um, models, so photography. So through mm-hmm. the pandemic, mm-hmm. samples wouldn't come through quickly and quickly enough, or they might, I mean, an outfit might come through, you know, the top comes through two weeks after the, the clothing. So if the supplier is sending you photography and you green screen photograph your models, companies like Looklet, they can dynamically put the um, photography onto the the models and make it look like they're actually wearing it and replicate the drape and so on so generative ai we've seen all the deep fakes from a photographic perspective you know that's that's being used in quite a clever way to to merchandise to to, to users i think i know we're coming up to time so my vision would be depending on how much of that uh, you know on that spectrum of give to get you are walking into your local supermarket and then going, hey, Maya, by the app, because I've got my phone out now, right? The whole point about the book I wrote with Tim Mason of Tesco's was uh, I can search for the nearest eggs. Google can take me turn by turn to the shop that sells the nearest eggs. But when I get to the shop, I put my phone on. The pandemic's put paid to that. We all are quite happy to um, snap QR codes and have our phones out in stores. Uh, and that's you know, across sectors. Um, what are we doing with it when we've got the phones out now? What are retailers going to do? And I think, you know, applying that reward and recognize, help me find what I'm looking for, make sure it's the thing that, I'm, that I want. You know, it's walk into a supermarket. Hi, Maya, great to see you again. Are you here for a weekly shop? Are you here for, a... and then I maybe have troubles. You know, don't show me offers. Don't interrupt me. Do show me wayfinding capabilities. But, you know, I'm at, the, I'm at the shelf edge and it says the scanning guns already do that. Are you sure you've, we've got buy two, get one free? You've not put two in your, you've only got two in your basket. But AI could go so far as to say, it looks like you're making spaghetti bolognese tonight. Do you know that the Tesco's own brand of Parmesan is half price versus the, you know, the, the premium brand that mm. you usually buy? And it's when you start to show value mm. to consumers like that, you're saving me money, you're getting me in and out quickly. You could even say I'm in browsing mode. I'm not in convenience mode. You know, as many questions as you want to ask of the customer to help them guide you into the kind of shopping experience you offer, AI can then dynamically match that from a promotions and personalization perspective and really start to make the mobile a real shopping assistant, both online and in-store as far as the shopping experience is concerned. All of that is predicated on on, on some pretty well-joined up and AI turbocharged systems. Yeah, that's a really, really nice uh, use case kind of uh, imagination or suggestion um, there. It sounds sounds like a really well put together kind of an idea for what, what could be done with AI in the future. Uh, really yeah, does. and I think final thing I'd say is, you know, do you want to add an AR filter to that? Do you want me to give you turn by turn where you see the arrows as you walk mm. around the shop? And then, my God, you point you point your phone at, at a shelf, shelf edge, and you're seeing promotions pop up and stickers and banners. And again, 
I don't want to scare anybody because I know there's going to be people listening to this thinking that's my my idea of fresh hell. But when you think about the fact that we do share so much data with retailers nowadays, and most of us do want to be treated better than a one-time cash-paying anonymous customer, and we have our mobiles out, depending on the, the, the use case, the mission, and the type of retailer you are and your brand value, all of these technology components can, can be used both in-store and online to both give customers more of what they want and to run your business better. So more of what they want, better run businesses. My, I, I kind of wish we booked the studio for a few hours this afternoon to talk to you. Thank you so much for... Um, for sharing just just like scraping the surface of mm. uh, of some of of some of the insight and um uh, for those are for those of you who are listening you can you can buy Myers books on Amazon um I would say absolutely give her a follow on Twitter for some great insight into retail tech and of course there's your your publication retail technology news yeah thank you so much guys no i've I've thoroughly enjoyed it as you said we only scraped the surface and we're only at the beginning i think i've been doing it for a long time things move slowly but it's exciting times that we're in now definitely that's great thank you so much thanks gare thanks gordon thanks maya it's very hot isn't it gordon honestly to quote zoolander hansel is so hot right now it's very hot in the studio wasn't that great though that was worth sitting in the on air conditioned studio for <laughs> because Maya was was fabulous. Some just brilliant insight across the board from the inner workings of Amazon right the way through to some of the developments around tech and, and really hitting on some of the brilliant basics that we've talked yeah. about throughout the season. And one of the things that I found interesting is the the three tenets that she uh she took us through so the uh, recognize and reward your customer, help them find what they're looking for, and then assure them that it is the right thing. Those three tenets, the way she talked about them, uh, she talked about them as if they were table stakes for online uh, as things currently stand. But it's still, I think, a challenge for, for retailers to get to that level. You know, it, it, I, I, I certainly think there are retailers that... Uh, you know, let's say in the Irish context, where try, you know trying to get the loyalty going, it would be such a differentiator for them. And uh, in in Maya's mind, you know, these are basically just like hygiene factors. Mm. And it 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 it's definitely there's still quite a lot to be done in the world of tech for online. Oh, online, completely yeah. inventory, customers, sales and orders, and then on top of that. Once that's built and you've got that solid foundation, the brilliant basics, then you can start to build really exciting experiences, but only when you've got those basics locked in. And I suppose the other point is being really clear then on once you've got that and once you are able to go and build an experience, what's that experience going to be? What are you Mm. asking that technology to do? Before you pick the technology and layer it out. Yeah, exactly. So you're not going through a, a me too moment because I, I suppose, you know, it would be easy to look at a range of tech and say, well, look, we've got, we've got, uh, we've got, we, we've got all of these uh, solutions. We're not quite sure what our problem is. Uh, we'll just <laughs> layer one of these solutions on top of it because we're sure that there's a problem somewhere. 
you know, rather than, uh, let's say, running to the solution, trying to figure out what you're trying to do in the first instance. And that that can apply on so many levels. Mm. I had a really funny conversation this week with somebody and they were like, they were comparing two email platforms. And one of them is very, very common. I'm not going to name any vendors, but one of them is really common in a specific tech stack. And the other one is less so. And he said to me, I'm I'm not going to switch platforms here. And I was like, why not? And he was like, well, the price is pretty much of a muchness, but my team just prefer the UX of, of platform B over platform A. And I think that's a perfectly mm. valid reason to choose a specific piece of technology if the capabilities are broadly the same, but your team find one easier to use to create better experiences for customers, mm-hmm. then pick the one that the team like to use because they're going to be sitting in front of it all day. Well, they have to make it happen. Exactly. Now, can we, for a second, just talk about dash cards? You thinking about getting into one and being pushed down the hill? I, I, I just want to go. <laughs> I just want to have Do a go actually, of a dash card. Because I, I actually said, for the benefit of our listeners, secretly, for the benefit of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what one was. And now I'm like, I'd be putting stuff in, taking stuff out. <laughs> give me the two for ones. Hiding it beside him, kind of like, oh, will we get you? I would love to have a go of a dash card. <laughs> hey, um, I didn't want to mention it, but what is a body buddy? Did I hear that correctly? I think that might be a, a software application, oh, okay. body buddy. It could be like, a, I'm guessing it's going to be like a TrueFit or a Fit Analytics, mm, that kind of thing, but a bit more AR-y. Yeah. You know, we were talking about that experience of what I would love it to be. And if anybody from Body Buddy's listening, you maybe want to give us a call. But in my head, what I would love it to be is an AR application that replicates the experience of when you go into a store. And for me, when I go into a menswear store, and the salesperson looks at me and goes, ah, yeah, this is your size mm-hmm. and this is what's going to suit yep. you. Notice how I admitted, what, uh, how I omitted what my actual size was. <laughs> Medium, I'm assuming. Uh, thir- oh, thir- extra, 32 waist. Extra uh, small. Yeah, extra yeah. small 28 waist. Shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Massive shoulders <laughs> and big arms. <laughs> but I, that's, that, that, and that goes back to what Matthew Brown was talking about um, on the, uh, in, the, let's say, the intimate personal profile you know, or even this idea of, let's say, you know, maybe even a digital kind of persona that's, uh, that you can, you can go from store to store and say, okay, well, look, here's my, here, here's my, here are my sizes. This is my, my detail filter for me and find uh, only the product that's going to suit me and or the product that, that fits. Yeah, I, I think that, mm. that we, can, nice. we can imagine that that's, that's the use case. Now let's go and find the technology. But, but I really like the, uh, the idea that uh, Maya had around the use of AI because it was really, it's a really nice, simple, but incredibly useful thing based on what's in your cart. It looks like you're making spaghetti bolognese. Uh, would you like our half price Parmesan? You know, I mean, like AI is, it can sound so massively frightening for people. And yes, you know, those are the sorts of leaps that uh, generative AI is going to be able to make. I love that use case. Mm. Uh, but then I... I was kind of then thinking, how exciting to have based on what's in your shopping trolley. And if you think about back to episode one, what Dean said about using loyalty to reward the behavior that you want. And actually, if you've got AR plus AI, you can start upselling. So I don't know. It looks like you're making spaghetti bolognese. 
you've got these tomatoes, but how about these organic Italian fabulous tomatoes that are going to make it taste like so much better? Mm, mm. Chef's kiss. Yes, that would be a or, 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 or a great maybe, maybe use case to maybe make you land better. in a situation where you know the the AI says, "Oh, it looks like you're making cajou e pepe," and you you you. You, you feel all of a sudden kind of like shamed by an AI because you've no idea what it's talking about. I don't know. I was I was going to make like you know pepper and cheese pasta. So what are you talking about AI? Stop showing off. Stop showing off or giving me the correct terms. <laughs> I love the notions of that. <laughs> the Amazon side of things, I I don't think we quite like. There, there was so much to to unpack from um what my uh what the conversation that we had, and there was so much detail in there. Uh, and so much, inf- so much, uh, so many, let's say, areas that we covered. But one of the areas I would have liked to get into was the Amazon brand, and whether or not the Amazon brand will will carry Amazon into some of the areas it wants to go. You know, can Amazon food do, do groceries? Do you want Amazon pasta? Yeah, is the question. Or are not pasta are, from the Amazon? Or Amazon occasion wear? Definitely don't want Amazon occasion wear. Yeah. I can't. I can't imagine that. But I. I wonder. Like Amazon own brand groceries. So if you think about the supermarkets that we have, like a Dunn's own brand. No, I'm, I'm thinking of Yellow Pack. I don't know if you had Yellow Pack in the UK. <laughs> Did you? No. I, I guess. I guess Tesco Value would have been the equivalent. Maybe. So we had. We had Yellow Pack and uh, Morris. What was his name? Uh, it, it was. Uh, uh, it's a. It's a grocery store. Quinsworth. It's. It's gone now. But we had this guy and. He'd come, you know, you'd have like the good fire lighters and then you'd have the yellow pack and it was just boxed in a yellow box. <laughs> <laughs> the yellow pack. It was the yellow pack. That version. was a Quinsworth thing. It was a Quinsworth thing, yeah. Lifestyle uh, Sports used to be a Quinsworth thing. Oh, really? Didn't know that. Oh, a long history there. It's probably one for another episode. But mm. yes, Lifestyle Sports originally part of Quinsworth. But that would be, so this would be the, well, we're really doing a disservice to Amazon here now, but uh, what you're suggesting but is co- potentially. Comparing Amazon to Potentially, Quinsworth. allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving along. Um, so, but I, I do feel like if, if you had a magic wand, sometimes you might say, okay, well, what else could we do with the brand maybe in terms of, get, in terms of you know, getting into those other areas? I suppose then. If you think about what Rich was talking about and actually being having that kind of like that razor thin targeting, Amazon is the from a product perspective is the is is as far away from the opposite in terms of its proposition because obviously Amazon is the everything mm. store and it's everything for everyone. I I do wonder how far can you stretch the product adjacency for the Amazon brand. I get it for biscuits. I get it for mice, as in a computer mouse, <laughs> not as in like a pet mouse. But does it extend into fresh food? Would you trust it? I I, I definitely trust it. Um, I'm just wondering would I shop there. So uh, the other area that we kind of touched on was just this, the knowledge in the uh, in the retail sector in terms of leveraging this tech I feel like I I think you know some of the like the tech is a good distance further along than I think the ability to use it is also and maybe Maya mentioned a couple of times for example uh, it took COVID before people would pull pull out their mobile phones and you know scan QR codes and that sort of thing and obviously we saw an enormous step change during COVID in the use of tech and the speed at which 
uh, businesses were making decisions and you know to get to get on board with uh, with 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 new delivery models or new fulfillment models that you know let's say even a month previously they they would have put a six month plan together in order yeah. to to do click and collect all of a sudden overnight they were they were That's pushing it out can. yeah and and making it work and making it work at Black Friday levels but like you know we're not going to have a Black Swan event. Hopefully, hope not, not. hopefully not a black swan I've, event I've every two years to, to start with... seeing step changes in the adopt, uh, adoption of technology. Yeah, I, I'm kind of done with black swan events. Yeah, so me too. I'm, I'm good to not have swans, so many yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting that my referenced is order management systems and mm. some of the sophistication that can be built into um, into order management systems to allow retailers to get the most value out of their inventory. Love that. Um, And I like that there's applications that can be swapped in and out to to enable that for retailers. I think that's that's a brilliant piece of capability that I would like to see more of in use. I I like that. I like that framing of, um, you know, how, how do you get how do you extract value from your inventory? Because really, while it's on the shelves of your warehouse, you know, you have no value. You're not. You've extracted nothing from it. You've put money into it. It's an investment waiting to be realized. And how, uh, you know, the more ways that you're able to unlock access in terms of fulfillment and, and things like that, the quicker you'll get the full full value. Yeah. Of that investment. The faster that you can turn that stock, mm. the more you can get onto either replenishing it or moving on to the next season, mm. depending on, on whatever business that you're in, and the more fun that's going to be for the buying team. Well, I have to say that was a that was a fascinating half an hour. I am absolutely, I'm overheated entirely <laughs> at this point. Uh, so, somewhere in the studio. Thanks so much. It's positively tropical. Yeah, thank, th- thanks, to, thanks to our listeners. Um, it's been uh, lovely to have you again for another episode. Um, and thanks, Gordon. Thanks, Jer. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Functional and Fabulous with Jer Johan and Gordon Newman. If you'd like to know more about the podcast or about Studio 49 and Omnichannel Stories, please go to functionalandfabulous.ie. Our sound engineer was Elaine Smith and the show was produced by Roger Overall.